Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I think it was Tozer who said the most important thing about us is what comes to our mind when we think about God. And and I really think that's everything, Matt. I think it's going to fuel every single thing that you do. So I just want to encourage those in leadership to not read more leadership than you do doctrine and theology. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy. And I was almost here without Josh Hunter because he was driving through a storm on his way home. But man, you made it. I made it. And... Man, I I hate being late, but I made it, <laughs> and that's what counts. But we're I'm we're excited. I'm really excited uh, uh, to have a conversation with one of my friends, Dean and Sarah, who is the founding and lead pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, and the author of The Unsaved Christian. And if that is not clickbait, I don't know what is for a <laughs> for a for a book. But Dean, we're so happy to have you on today, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. And shout out to clickbait titles. It's the way to go. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I still, I, before we got on this interview, I uh, remember the first time I heard you speak and it was at, uh, uh, not speak, but preach. And I was at Long Hollow and I'm looking through the notes that I had from you that day and still just, man, so impressed and learned so much from that day, cultural or nominal Christianity. I know Mm -hmm. uh, that's what the book is a lot about, but tell us just a little bit about the book really quickly. Let's sure. do that up front because we would love to hear about it. And I've heard such good things about it um, up to this point. Oh, thanks. We need to read it, Josh. Good grief. Uh, so, <laughs> I heard you preach and you basically preached it. So I did. That's something. true. Uh, but no, it's good. It's good to be with you guys. So I, I'm just convinced that the largest mission field in America are people who think they're Christians and they're not. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'm the judge of who's a Christian or do I want to be. Uh, but I believe the Bible is. And the Bible does not recognize people who give answers other than the gospel by faith and repentance for why they're a Christian. Uh, So in cultural Christianity, people think they're Christians simply because they're not atheists or they're not Jewish. They're not Muslim. They're not Buddhist. Uh, They believe in some kind of generic God. They think they're really good people and they maybe come from a Christian family somewhere down the line. So they consider themselves Christians and I can't find anywhere in the Bible where that consists of saving faith. And what I've learned is that most people, it's my own experience, but others, most people don't know a lot of atheists. Maybe if you're on a college campus somewhere, you would. But even in some of our most secular cities, they're not professing atheists everywhere. Uh, most people, just in suburban USA, uh, the folks they know are people who would claim to be Christians, even though their answer for that has nothing to do with Jesus. So I think this mission field is right in front of us. We don't need a passport to get to it. We just need to open our eyes to uh, this need of people who think they're believers and they're not. So the book helps you understand that. And then uh, also helps you kind of a guide to reach those folks. And I was saved out of cultural Christianity. So I was my own story of coming to, coming to faith in Christ, even though I was at church every single Sunday uh, before my conversion as a teenager. Mm. Well, Chandler mm. and I are looking to getting two free copies of those delivered to us <laughs> on the way. <laughs> Love it. No, I, I remember when uh, I've seen, you know, I've read a lot about it. I think, you know, different blogs that you've written as well about it. And it just hit home for me too, because Dean, the same, I think, feel like my story is a lot like you just shared right there, kind of saved out of cultural Christianity. So definitely is something that I want to pick up and read. And if you're listening to this and you haven't uh, read it as well, make sure you go pick up a copy. Now, Dean, before we get too far into the podcast, I need to need to bring up something I know it's near and dear to your heart, and that's Tom Brady. Oh, of course. Mm. And I, I, I'm sorry to kick you while you're down, but <laughs> as a Tennessee Titans fan, did we? Did the Titans end the Patriots and Tom Brady's 
career together? I mean, you know, the Chiefs couldn't. Pat Mahomes couldn't. Lost at <laughs> home in the AFC Championship game to a 41-year-old quarterback at the time. Uh, but yeah, right, that, right. that Titans game was just a really rough night for me. I'm like, are we really losing to this team with this quarterback and it's a running back dependent college team? Like, is this really happening? So, so true. yeah, it was. So the answer to your question, I think so. I think the answer is <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All that, yes, you're right. That's what happened. I was I was texting so many of my friends. I was like, guys, are the Titans really gonna do this? Like, are we gonna be the last ones to play Brady? And then it was so fitting for Logan Ryan to be the last, you know, the last throw of Brady's career to be the a pick six Gosh, to Logan Ryan. Hey, well, like, I think that's a little harsh to bring that part up, you know. So but I I just had to slide it in there and see how you, how you felt about it. The worst, part, the worst part of the game for me was that the difference in the game was the punter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that, and that Vrabel used uh, Belichick's own play against him with a timeout. Yeah, so. oh, that's right. And um, I remember some guys saying, one of my buddies is a pastor in Nashville, the punter w- w- goes to his church, and they were tweeting that he's a believer. I'm like, man, I'm not speaking to that guy when we get to heaven. Right. That's all I know. <laughs> we, are, we are not on speaking terms in heaven. Dean, Dean's all like, he's probably like a cultural Christian. So, you know, wait, like, I'm a Christian, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah. Need to give him a book. Yeah. <laughs> So, so are you are you tied to the Patriots? Or are you tied to Tom Brady? Or are you now a Bucks fan? So the Patriots will always be my favorite team, uh, but I have a two year rental clause I've taken out in the Bucks being <laughs> my second favorite team uh, during during go. Brady's contract. So I'll be definitely watching the Bucks this year. I'll uh, definitely be very invested if we have football. Uh, but oh yeah, so both Patriots first, but then Bucks for a very short period. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Well, love that. Hope I, I agree with you. I hope I hope we do have football this fall we we shall see that's a big if right now oh yeah well let's hop into the questions here i know both josh and i are excited to hear a little bit about your story so get us started by walking us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years so i got thrown into leadership really kind of quickly in life Uh, i I was student body president at my high school and i was president of our fellowship of christian athletes so pretty early on in my life i got uh, put in front of people and, and i enjoyed that I enjoyed leading. Again, I was young. I'm sure I was pretty immature. Uh, but I had that opportunity just to kind of have that upfront kind of platform. People look to me as a leader. It's been happening for a really long time. It was, you know, being a captain on sports teams kind of all the way through. The Lord just kind of put me in those positions really early. Uh, my first mm-hmm. real, I guess you could say, ministry leadership position was I was a youth pastor for a pretty short time. Uh, I, I just knew pretty early it wasn't for me. I love youth ministry and youth pastors. I just wasn't really the right guy to do it. Uh, especially kind of in the traditional context I was in, I felt like I was a like, like a, almost like an activities coordinator on a Christian cruise ship. And, <laughs> and, and that wasn't really what I wanted to give my life to. Uh, so we, uh, I'm from the city that where I pastor now. I grew up in Tallahassee and had a lot of friends that basically are the story of my book. And I've always seen that as a massive mission field and believe the local church is the best way to reach people. There's other ways. The local church is the best way. As uh, for the long haul, uh, so we started a church with about 20 friends from scratch. Uh, so that was when wow. I was only 20. I just turned 26 years old. So I, I've been leading up front from that kind of perspective of leadership for really almost my, my whole adult life, but started really early as a teenager leading things at my public school and uh, for my age in our community. You know, I love that. It's you, you went back, you went back to your hometown. You, you had a burden for Tallahassee and you, you planted a church there. That's a that's a large task to undertake, and I think a lot of people don't understand how tiring church planning can be. How how you're in it for the long haul, and to be able to build something from the ground up that the Lord is building through you, of course, but you're putting in the work. 
Can you kind of share what those early days of church planning look like? And then once you, once you kind of got it built, what did your, what did it look like to scale your own leadership along with that? So we planted before it really became popular. Uh, there, weren't a, there weren't a lot of church plants going up. Um, Kevin Ezell is the president of the North American Mission Board, which is who we partner with. Uh, he was not there at that time. This is like pre okay. all of that. Uh, so we really didn't have a manual. I, I had you know, read a couple of books by some guys who did it, but there wasn't very many people to learn from or to be mentored by. We were kind of just sort of lone rangers going about it, which I don't recommend. But this is before sending churches were a thing. And if you, if you were a church planner, you were either viewed as being rebellious or that you couldn't make it in a real church. <laughs> so uh, which were probably both kind of true about me at the time. Uh, so I look, looking back and having some self-awareness now, but that's just kind of how it was viewed. Uh, so churches just didn't get behind it. They saw it as competition back then. That was kind of the norm uh, for church planning in a lot of places around the country. Uh, so we just kind of started and did it and got some friends together and said, what would it look like uh, for a church to look like this in Tallahassee? And I think to look back and see some of the moments and telling the story, I think what the Lord did to make it happen was he put really committed, faithful, trustworthy people around me. And most of those people aren't even at our church anymore. They've moved all across the country since then because they were really young at the time. Uh, they've you know, gotten married, gotten jobs, all those kind of things. But that was the key was having like people that just were really on board, really invested, and were willing to do whatever it took as lay people. You know, to to allow this church to be established really by the Lord's hands. I think that was the key uh, to our story, and just like individual people that you know, when we started the church, it was probably ninety percent college students. Uh, not because that wow. was the plan; they just showed up first. Now we're a multi generational church, but at the time it was seriously just that. Uh, so we didn't have very much money at all. So we had these individuals who would write checks to allow us, like like one man who loosely came to our church, just believed in what we were doing and thought it was a good thing. He underwrote our rent for two months, two years. For oh, wow. to me. just things like that early on. You know, Lord just put people all around us to do it. Then we saw the church grow and continue to grow and in a town that doesn't have very large churches. So it's been really kind of neat to see. And, and how my leadership has, I guess you could say, has sort of scaled since then is that I've ha- had to really learn and continue to learn how to trust people and how to let people just do a lot of the work and also be aware of the things that I'm just not very good at. You know, on, on a scale of like 10 things, or there's a list of 10 things to be good at as a pastor. I'm maybe good at like two or three of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So instead of me sweating the other things, the other seven things, I, I just find people I trust and put them around me to do those things, let them do the work. So I think that's been a big one. And then also making sure that even though the church is large, that I stay as accessible and relational as I possibly can. Because in this day and age, there's a lot of mistrust towards leaders and skepticism towards guys that... You know, you know, a lot of pastors just kind of think they're a big deal and kind of isolate themselves from everybody. And I, I just really work hard for to have a culture on our staff where we are not like that. Like we're about people and we're about our city and we're local and that's where our priority is. And, and I think just making sure that stays in place. And part of being a pastor of a hometown in my hometown is I ha- we have a lot of people who are part of our church who knew me before I was yeah. a pastor. And that's just really good for like my ego and and just keep me in check and all those kind of things. They had people around you that just don't really care how many people came on Sunday or how good your sermon was. They, they know you first as a person. And I think that's been a big deal to maintain those kinds of things. Yeah, those are, those are two really wise things. And really just to, to recap, you know, with, it's, it's more of a we over me mentality for leadership, right? It's like if it's, we're just me focused, we're not going to go very far as a church. So leaning into others and delegating and letting them help you 
um, and really and really just giving them responsibility. You know, uh, uh, delegating is giving authority, right? Dumping is just like giving some responsibilities off to people around you. And then, man, just the culture that you're talking about on your staff, that's, that's really encouraging to hear. I'm glad you're doing that. Tell us about, and it could be, I think the church planting, you probably did cut a lot of your teeth on leadership moments, if I had to guess, uh, planting a church and growing. But this can be at any point in your leadership journey, this question. But can you tell us about a, a pivotal moment that you look back on that really changed the way you led or changed your life and propelled you into a different style of leadership? Anything like that? Ring a bell? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it for me was sort of growing up. Uh, in terms of just maybe some more maturity, some maturity I was lacking and didn't realize it. I think I had some chips on my shoulder early on when we planted a church, uh, just kind of like thinking I had something to prove. Yeah, I would have never admitted that or even realized that at the time. I think my pride was just that deep. And I had a good friend one time after service come up to me and she, she said, you're bitter about something and I don't know what it is, but you're bitter. And mm-hmm. I realized a lot of my bitterness was some of my experience I had at the, the previous church. And again, they're good people. I have nothing now against them, but I wasn't treated the greatest uh, by some folks there. So I sort of had my chip, a chip on my shoulder about just that in general, and just kind of had this attitude that like, we're the only ones who did it right. We're the only ones that really can reach people, which is obviously ridiculous. Yeah. And when you're 26 and planting a church and think you have something to prove in your hometown, when people have expected you to do this your whole life, I think just that fear of man kind of thing, and that's something to prove kind of mentality, which is so, you know, so anti-gospel and how it's understood. But I think that was a big rally in my life. And that friend coming to me, and I can't believe in that moment I wasn't defensive, because normally I would probably would have been very defensive about that and gave five reasons why I wasn't and rationalized it and gave disclaimers. When she came to me, and she's still part of our church to this day, this is probably, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe 10 years around there. And that really just made me go, huh, she's right. I just kind of listened and thought, she's right. And kind of do some soul searching. What are we about? Why do we start this church? You know, what is it that really matters? And I think just dealing with those kind of things. Now, now I still don't love conflict. Uh, I still care a lot about what people think about me. Uh, those are just constant battles in my life. Mm-hmm. But it's not a thing that I like that keeps me up at night anymore. You know, it's not some chip I have on my shoulder. I don't feel like I have anything to prove. But those are just the ways the Lord really has grown me. And I worry about that for leaders in general. I think so much of the mentality today is kind of like seize the hill, seize the day. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes we need to chill out and just realize that we're just people that God is using. And there's a lot of us who are very replaceable. <laughs> and, and in the meantime, yeah. we just don't have time to be, you know, walking around with some chip on our shoulder. We need to go conquer darkness by God's grace, not try to conquer someone else's likability of us or to prove something to them or show them. And so that's just kind of a thing that I think I really struggled with early, was unaware of, or maybe was just in denial about, and an area where I think I've grown a lot. We still have room to grow for sure. I appreciate that honesty there. I, hearing you describe 26-year-old planning a church in your hometown, feeling like you wanted to prove a lot to other people, I kind of just heard, I, I kind of thought of how many seminary students or somebody coming out of college, going into ministry for the first time or whatever that looks like, feeling like they know so much more than those ahead of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's oh, kind of totally. the, the lack of humility, but it's also, I mean, there there is like, I, I think some godly ambition there but it's, we need to be humbled in that. So let's, you know, if you could go back to your 26 year old self and give him advice or maybe just an, anybody else coming out who is ready to charge the hill, but also is ready to take down anybody in their way. What advice would you give them to hum, you know, have a humble posture and to grow in that area? I would say, and I need to give some caveats around this, but because it, it needs context in our 
no nuance allowed world we're in today. <laughs> uh, I think you need to get seminary out of your system as quickly as possible. Mm. And by that, I don't mean the things you've learned. <laughs> I think that's really yeah, important. Yeah. And I love seminary. And I went to seminary. I thank God for seminary. We send people to seminary. Um, but so many times guys come out of seminary and they're preaching and doing ministry like their professor sitting in the second row. When the reality is the person sitting in the second row is a suburban mom who just went to Chick-fil-A because they were busy and she didn't have time to cook dinner. And she's just trying to figure out like how to raise her kids better. <laughs> or she's just trying to figure yeah. out how to handle a crisis in her life. Or just how the gospel makes sense beyond just the little stuff she was raised on in her cultural Christianity. So we have to take these amazing truths we've learned in seminary and, and be able to talk to normal, regular people about it. Uh, so yeah. out, out of the gate, like you said, it's so easy to come out there and preach these sermons that are like, what we're spending seven years in Ephesians? It's six <laughs> chapters. What is wrong with you? you know, like that. Who are you trying to impress? You know, that's what I'm talking about. And I think yeah. that question has to be answered regularly by people in leadership and Christian leadership, especially, is, is who are you trying to impress? And mm -hmm. I think that's something I would have had asked to me really early on. Who are you trying to impress? And I did have a pastor actually use those words with me when he said, Hey, you're going to be, I'll never forget this. He came and listened one Sunday and he said, man, let me tell you something. You're going to be really impactful and make a big difference in this town. Once you get seminary out of your system. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, who is he? Some watered down, you know, liberal <laughs> gospel light doesn't care about doctrine kind of guy. And that wasn't true at all. He loves doctrine. He just wants to be able to say it to normal people. Uh, so yeah. I think realizing that unless you, you know, pastor a mile from a seminary, that there's a really good chance a seminary professor is not sitting in your congregation. Don't try to preach to that person and impress them act like they're there. So that that's I, I think that that's something I would I would do is go back. That those are the questions, and I think those aren't talked about enough. You know, it's always a good. You know, it's always going to be a good uh, story when you start off with you know, and I'll I'll never forget what he said. Yeah, <laughs> I'll never forget long, what he said to me. Ago, and I remember yeah. word for word what he said to me. Yeah, it, those yeah. moments are impactful and. This might be chasing a little bit of a rabbit, but forgive me. Let's let's go for a second. And Chandler, like honestly, if we don't want to put this on, we don't have to put this on later. But I, I'm curious your um, input on this, Dean. So, with with our demographic of the audience that's that's listening, there's a lot of young leaders. Some of them are called to vocational ministry. Some maybe uh, the pair pair church or bivocational or want to get more into the um, uh, secular business force. Uh, but leader, young leaders nonetheless. But those that want to get into ministry. There are a lot of people in that generation struggling with the question, including myself sometimes, do I need to go to seminary to be a leader in a church? Do like if I'm on full-time staff leader in a church, if I want to go be a student pastor, if I want to be an executive pastor, a senior pastor, what would you say to that, Dean? How would you say for a young leader to navigate that in life and how to make that decision if they should or should not go? I think if you're going to be a senior pastor with a major teaching, preaching responsibility, I definitely recommend having seminary education. I don't think that has to mean you have to be on campus. You're always going to see things from professors telling you that on campus is better. And because that means their job, <laughs> of course, they're going to say that. And, and, and in theory, am I allowed to say that? Sorry. And in, and in theory, uh, is it better? Sure, it's better in the big scheme of things. But you know what else works, too, is a good online education. The world's changing. So we have to be yeah. willing to adapt to it. So I think as long as you're having that education and you're learning and you're reading and you're being trained for ministry, that's really important. For other ministry positions, you know, I don't think, I'm not going to say it's necessary. I think it's helpful. I don't think it's necessary because, 
you know, going to seminary is not going to not going to teach you how to run a children's ministry. Mm-hmm. It's not going to teach you to run a youth ministry. Uh, you know, so I think a lot of that has to depend on how strong your church is in equipping you. Uh, so for our youth minister, he hasn't been a seminary yet, uh, but we hired him from within. We do almost, almost all of our hiring from within because our culture really matters to us. We want to preserve a staff culture and folks that are not just want to be working for a church, but want to work for our church, right? We just think that really matters a lot. We don't want these professionals going everywhere. We want people who bleed city church DNA, and that's been a big part of our success. Uh, but so for those people, we try to provide opportunities for them to grow. Uh, you know, we, um, you know, are making sure that they're having tools in front of them. If they came to us and said, I want to go to seminary, we're going to help them do that. Right. Um, the Gospel Coalition recently put out a free class from Southern Seminary on Christology, I think is what it is. And I sent it to all those people on our staff that had been to seminary and said, this is a free course. Learn from this. So yeah, I don't go, think go being learn. committed to training and lifelong learning has to always just mean seminary. I think there's other ways to do that. So again, to hear me clearly, I think seminary is helpful. I think seminary is a good idea, but for a non-regular senior pastor role, I don't think you have to do it. Like, it doesn't matter to me if our worship leader goes to seminary or not. I want to make sure he's solid in his gospel beliefs. He knows how to lead a band and lead a congregation. That's what I want to learn. So I, I just think I have to be careful of that kind of stuff and not, not, not box in. Like if we're, if I'm just saying, if we're looking for a youth minister, I, I'm probably not going to a seminary. You know, I love seminaries. I speak at seminary chapels. Like I love, I love seminaries. I have tons of friends who work at them, uh, but I'm instead going, okay, who in our church right now is really awesome with teenagers and loves Jesus and is serious about the gospel in this generation. That's mm-hmm. something I want to find. And that's how we approach uh, our, our staffing. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for humoring me. I, I think it's really, I mean, I think it's really beneficial to have that conversation here and there because uh, a lot of people in that generation are a little bit frozen in fear about, what do, do I need to go commit another three years somewhere? Like, can I go work at a church and go to seminary? So I really think it's a big struggle for a lot of young leaders in the church. So I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, and it's also the churches out there to like to, to reconsider what you're looking for. Yeah, I'll mm. see churches that they're, they're looking yeah. for a senior pastor and the senior pastor has to have a PhD. I'm like, you have to have a research degree to be the senior pastor of your church. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean research a, a, a dissertation, you know, on Augustine is what you need to have a, be the senior pastor of your church in suburban Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just weird sense. to me how that culture is set in. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's really funny. Well, Dean, what was what was uh, one of your biggest mistakes as a leader getting started, and how did that set you up for success down the road? I think one of my my earliest mistakes, at, well, I think a constant early thing for me was that I still struggle with is I'm a very um, sort of a verbal processor. Sometimes I say things that I really wanted to think and not say out loud. Uh, so <laughs> I know I'm just thinking out loud, but somebody else will hear it as this is gospel. Yeah. Right, like, but it's something I want to do, an initiative I'm thinking about. So, so I'm still learning how to how to sort of curve that and chill that out a little bit, uh, and be able to have people around me now that know me well enough, which earlier they didn't. Know that if I say this, it does not mean that we're doing it tomorrow morning at three at, at nine o'clock. It means I just want to talk about it. You know, so I think just learn how to be a better communicator. Early on, I think I, I didn't really also understand that everybody's a little bit different. I need to talk to people differently. So I would talk to one leader, the exact same way I talk to another leader. They might be totally different in terms of how they receive criticism, how they receive compliments, how much time and attention they need from me. So those things early on, I think, made me kind of maybe come across as uh, too distant or not caring enough. And I'm like really relational, really outgoing, really extroverted. Uh, but I didn't realize that there's different ways to deal with different kind of people that got everybody different. Uh, so I think mistakes early on, I mean, it was not paying attention to those kind of things and, ha- and handling and speaking to people in just one manner in one way. 
it wasn't harsh or anything. It just was not one. I, I was a one size fits all approach to leading a team and didn't realize that that's not reality and how that works. So that was a big one for me to, to learn that people are different. If I'm going to be leading people, I need to realize that I'm not leading a, a, just a name or just a personnel file, leading a human being. And that's been a big, yeah. big, big game changer for me that I didn't realize my mistakes with early on that now is just made things relationally just stronger for our culture and for our team and for our church. Yeah, I hear you say that. And I'm, I'm a verbal processor as well. And I've, I've definitely learned, uh, probably not to the extent that you have, I've learned it. But I mean, I'm like, okay, if I say something out loud, it's not what I'm, I'm not saying we have to do this. Yeah. But it's, I'm thinking through it. But hearing you talk about that, it's knowing yourself and how you lead, but then also knowing others and how to lead them. How, you know, for, for young leaders are like, okay, I'm starting to learn who I am and how I lead. And I'm starting to learn how I interact with others. What are some practical ways that you would say, hey, here's how to learn about more about yourself and how you lead and to learn about those you, that you do lead? I think self-awareness is everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we, we, on our staff, we refer to it as having feel, you know, like you just need to have some feel about social situations, about how to talk to somebody, when to approach someone. And, and, I, and I think we got to humble ourselves to the point where we need to ask people close to us that we trust. Like, what, what are some things about me? And, this, and these conversations stink, man. Like, I hate those kind of conversations. Yeah, but they're, yeah. they're so necessary. And I say, like, what are some things about me? What are some tendencies I have? What are some things that others see that I don't? But you need to be able to have those kind of conversations. We did that, we did that exercise. It was led by one of our members who helped us. I just some staff culture stuff several years ago. And we all like went around in a circle. And people had to say, like, basically what they admired about you the most in an area they think you need to grow in the most. And man, that was eye opening to me. I was like, "Holy cow, man! I'm terrible at this." <laughs> you know? yeah. I think everybody. Like, we're gonna do everybody. I'm gonna sit this one out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, seriously, <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, it's like oh, if this Corona was back then, I could have been like, I think I had Corona. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> like, there was no excuse back then. Uh, yeah. but I think I got the sniffles, but uh, so uh, that was uh, painful, and it was actually a pretty depressing meeting, and walked out pretty sad. Uh, but it was necessary because we didn't uh, have great communication at the time as a, as a church staff. Uh, so uh, a lot of tr transitions happened since then that needed to happen as a result of that, just personnel-wise. Uh, but that was a big thing, just to hear it. And it allowed me to realize that there's some things I need to change in my daily routine and approach with our team, with our staff. Uh, so I think it might not to be to that extreme to have that meeting, uh, but I think it is. Um, and that's also hard for people to say that to their boss. Yeah. You know I mean, and, but they did. And I was like, oh my gosh. And everybody had it done to them. So it was, it was not the funnest, or the most fun, I should say. I think I made up a word there. Uh, the most fun. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was necessary. So, but, but if it's, that's not the way to do it, then I would say to have a couple of people that you ask about it and then to really yeah. do that. And then, and then second, to really, in terms of how to imp impact other people, uh, to maybe ask them, is there a way that, that I'm communicating to you that doesn't work? Yeah, you know, that's that, right. I'm, that I'm unaware of. We just got to have those conversations. No, I agree. That's really good practical advice, Dean. And we've done it before at Student Life, like 360 evals, where we'll fill out some things beforehand and then we'll all sit down together and read them out loud. And it, like, it is really painful. It's, it, you're a little bit more honest in the written word sometimes when you're really just starting to, to get into the 360 type eval um, culture. But I, I want to challenge those that are listening right now. I would really challenge you to start out. I mean, you can jump into 360 evals with the group if you want to. You might be ready for that. But start out with, like Dean was saying, with just some one-on-one -on -one conversations with some trusted voices. Give them permission to be honest with you. Give them permission to hold a mirror in front of your face. And then what I want you to do is 
even if you feel like they're just missing it completely, maybe just consider that they're right for about a day. Sure. <laughs> maybe just consider sure. that they're right just for a about day, a day. Though. Only a day. Just a day. And then maybe the <laughs> next day you'll realize, oh, wait, they are right. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you might really learn some something. I think that's a really good practice, Dean. Thanks for answering that. Dean, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead, like stepping into a leadership position for the first time, knowing what you know now? Man, if I had had this book at the beginning, things would have been a little bit easier for me. I, I'm going to go with the theology books. I think everything goes back to how you view God. I, I really do. Uh, my uncle gave me The Holiness of God to read when I was 19 years old by R.C. Sproul. And I wish he'd mm. give me that book when I was 16. <laughs> like, seriously. That's when yeah. I first really started preaching. Reg- I, was, I was preaching regularly when I was in high school. Like, even on Sunday mornings at churches as a guest. It was oh, wow. crazy. Wow. Yeah, like, youth groups on Wednesday nights. I'd travel. I mean, just crazy stuff. Uh, looking back now, I'm like, what were they thinking? But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> please burn any cassette tape that's out there with the sermon. Oh, right, right. But, man, I, I just really think so much. I think it was Tozer who said the most important thing about us is what comes to our mind when we think about God. And, and I really think that's everything, man. I think it's going to fuel every single thing that you do. So I just want to encourage those in leadership to not read more leadership than you do doctrine and theology. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a place for leadership books. I'm thankful for that. Like I read John Maxwell's 21 Laws when I was in college. I was really thankful for that. You know, um, yeah. I, I think I maybe would have uh, maybe been handed some maybe more kind of church business, uh, maybe church finance type books that, that are out there. Uh, when I was younger, I would have appreciated that a little bit more. But man, but I, I wish I would have written those things, the, the theological books really early just to set a framework of who God is in my life and why it matters. And yeah, that's really my, so I don't have some like killer leadership book to recommend, uh, but I have that all timer theology book to recommend uh, or that I wish that I'd read earlier, I should say, because it had a profound shaping on my life. And it's always the first book to this day. I recommend to people when they ask me for a book recommendation, no matter what they do, leadership, lay, whatever it is. I always first, I always first mention that book. Man, I appreciate everything for so much. Everything flows from that. Yeah. And it's, it really is. And I, if you're, if you're listening and even this is for me as well, like I can read as much leadership books as I want. If that's all I'm focusing on, like my character, my, my holiness, my walk with the Lord, that's, what's going to sustain me in the long haul. It doesn't matter how great I can think about leadership or what systems and processes I processes I know it's the character and the work of Christ within me. So it's crucial, man. I'm, I'm, it's convi- crucial. I'm convicted by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, good. I, and and I'm, I'm allowed to say out loud that so many leadership books are the exact same. I'm allowed to say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure. should, should have been a blog post. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, so <laughs> and, and, the cast are exactly the same. What are we, who are we kidding? Around? <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this, you've heard them all. I, Sorry. No, Sorry to break I, it to you. <laughs> with what Chandler was saying, I really appreciate it too. And I'm also convicted by this. Um, and it's so weird how it's, yeah, it, it really is. I want to read a lot of leadership books, but I'm not sure why sometimes my desire is not growing to read good theology versus like leadership books. I'm, that's some that's some introspection I need to do. But uh, one of my mentors for a long time, when I'm, when I'm stuck in a hard situation or trying to make a decision, whether it's business or personal, Dean, he always asked me, what is your theology on this? Yeah. You know, and that's what that means. Like, what what is the spirit telling you? What is the... What is, the, what is the truth about the Bible and how you can make decisions based in this moment? And it's been a really helpful mm-hmm. question for me. Yeah, I think it helps us from over-spiritualizing things. Mm. You know, we really believe that in the sovereignty of God, you know, that we believe that like God's not on the edge of his throne freaking out about a decision I'm about to make. <laughs> I mean, things like yeah. that, it just really matters. Mm. That's good. Mm. Well, 
that was a mic drop moment. So we're we're gonna move on from that. Yeah, there's your there's don't. your your little Instagram thing that you can post later, Chandler. <laughs> there we go. It's somewhere in there. There we go. Somewhere. Dean, what was your biggest misconception as a young leader? That I would have instant credibility with people older than me. Mm. <laughs> that mm. the position would do that of being a senior pastor. And people would come and maybe enjoy the church or wouldn't join it or wouldn't come. They'd maybe come with their kids, like their college age students, uh, but they wouldn't join because I was just kind of this young kid. What does he know? And I expect everybody to immediately give me, you know, trust and credibility and be on board with us because I was the pastor uh, and realize it's going to take time to build trust and to have rootedness and to show this church is for real and here to stay. And it's not a flash in the pan or some little, you know, cute idea. I think that was it, man. I think I just thought that credibility was given rather than earned that mm. was mm. people that are older than me. That's, I think that's definitely the biggest misconception I had early on as a leader. Do you have like a nightmare story that goes along with <laughs> Like, do you have, do you have an example of that where there was a light bulb moment of, Oh man, this is, this thing is going to be harder <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we had like a family show up again, we're running 90% students. And like a family with like three kids, like elementary school age. And we're like a family, <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> and I even, and I knew them, I was acquaintances with them and, and they came and the kids had fun and everything was good. And, and afterwards I, I followed up and they're like, man, we loved it. Thought the sermon was great. Thought the, uh, you know, the, the music was great. Our kids enjoyed it, but man, it's just, it's just too young for us. And we just want something older and more established. And, mm. and we, we want a pastor who's older. And I was like, what? Huh? Mm. I, I didn't understand it. So I was mad. Yeah. You know, like, it's so dumb. And you know, this kind of <laughs> stuff. But now I'm, as I'm older, I'm going to be 40 in November. Um, you know, I'm like, okay, I get that. Like I get how that, you know, could, could have really could have been a thing uh, because that happened several times. Right. I just hear people just saw me as like a college pastor or saw me as a glorified youth pastor. And that's just really how they viewed our church as well. So, so I just realized just because we think something's on fire and exciting and going to, you know, be this hopefully gospel force in our city doesn't mean that everybody else that's a believer thinks the same yeah. thing. You know? yeah, so, yeah. so that just took time. So it wasn't one moment. It was just kind of a series of hearing that regularly where I finally, again, I was talking about that chip on my shoulder, has to approve stuff back then. So that, that's why I wasn't mature enough to handle those sort of things instead of going, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I'm a young pastor. This guy has been a believer longer than I've been alive. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Rather, instead, I, I would be like, well, that, what a joke. And they don't get it. And they don't care about mission. And just all these dumb things that, <laughs> that, that I just had to mature and grow through. <laughs> yeah, so that's, now that's, I shoot that down quick with our younger yeah, guys. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty hard on them about stuff because I know where it can lead and what it can do. Yeah. When you think you're the and first I, person I, to ever figure out mission in the entire world, you know, that kind of, right. that kind of idea and mindset. You're like, this is groundbreaking. Yeah, like you're the first person to ever be like going. gospel-centered and missional in the history of Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I hear you say that. And I know, I mean, this is probably even part of my own story where you you almost want to jump ahead and you want to you want to be able to minister to, you know, 40-something with three kids as a 20 something or 30 something, but you've never been a 40 something before. Sure. And it's like, you just want to jump ahead and forget that you need to walk through experiences along the way. So can you just, you know, for, for us that are younger who, who would like to jump ahead now that you're looking back and you're like, this is what this experience has brought to my ministry. Me, me being able to walk through something and then speak into somebody else's life. How, how has that affected the way that you would lead versus how you would have led at a younger age? Oh, I think now I can actually talk to people 
about their lives in a way that I'm also experiencing, right? Being a parent, mm-hmm. being married, um, having worked for a long time. You know, I, I didn't go from like my parents' basement to all of a sudden an internship and think that I, you know, know everything, you know, sort of sort, <laughs> sort of stuff. So that's that's been very helpful. And I think also there's something about rootedness and and proving uh, stability in a good way. Uh, where it's like, hey, I'm not just looking for the next thing. I'm not just, you know, here to try to make something like flash in the pan and then, you know, go chase something new. Like, no, we're here. Like, we're like, we're really like, we believe in the local church in this community that we started. And I think when people see that, they go, okay, this actually is really a thing. And so I think that's allowed us just to, I think credibility is an important word. You know, so yeah. I'm really thankful that in my days of just some chip on my shoulders, having to prove anything, I'm thankful God protected me from maybe, I don't know what could have been some moral catastrophes in my life. I'm thankful those things did not happen, uh, that they didn't even almost happen. I'm just really grateful for that, that God protected me through those things. So when you hear about guys who have falls, have moral failures, a lot of times it links back to that kind of stuff. I'm just really thankful it didn't happen. Now, I believe in 1 Corinthians, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, if you think you're standing firm, be careful because you might fall. So I don't want to take that for granted or think I'm fine now. Uh, but but, yeah. I, but I think just the, 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 the proving credibility in a good way, not in a, not in a chip on the shoulder kind of way. I think that sort of changed the game with that. And now for younger people that are in our ministry and that are a part of our church that want to go into, want to become pastors. We have a big college town here. We have a really large college ministry and a lot of our students want to be pastors. And one of the main things I'm telling them is to let it come to you. Because it's mm. so easy for them to see things on Instagram and hear a speaker and go, I want to be that. I want to be that. And by that, they don't, they don't mean like a guy faithfully pastoring a church of 200 people. You know, that by that, they mean like being on stage at Passion. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> they don't right. mean any harm by it. It's just kind of like that's what it is to them. You know, so it, it, it's, it's good for it's a good way to be able to tell people like, hey, it's not even a pay your dues thing. It's a build your life kind of thing. You know, and go through experiences and follow Jesus faithfully and, and know what it means first to be a godly husband and a godly employee, then a godly father. And my mentor, James Merritt, who's a pastor in Atlanta, the best advice I think he ever gave me, he said early on, he said, Dean, there's going to be a lot of guys who are chasing a lot of stuff. He said, let it come to you. And by that, he meant like speaking things and books and all that kind of jazz. He said, let it come to you. That's Don't go gold. out looking for it because it'll mess you up. And I'm so thankful he told me that. And then also mm-hmm. distracts you from doing ministry where you're actually located. If you're trying to chase everything else, like city church in Tallahassee is not paying me to go, you know, be a speaker at a seminary chapel or to write a book. You know, I do all those things separately, but they're paying me first responsibilities here. So I want to make sure that that's always on the forefront of everything I'm doing. I don't even answer the just, question, but that was, that's what was on my mind. No, and that was great. I mean, I think just let it come to you is such a, it's a wise statement right there. But also I I loved how you tied in focus, (laughs) focus on those who are in front of you. If you're always focusing on what's next, you're not actually going to focus on those who are in front of you or ministering to them well. So just, just great advice there. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are going to be short one minute answers and we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Oh, man, I'm going to mess up this whole podcast. I am different every day. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, like I sleep a little later on Mondays. So I'm exhausted. You know, so that's a different day than yeah. Tuesday. When I have to be up for a meeting right away. It's so like, so I, one thing that's guaranteed, this is going to be so weird. One thing is guaranteed. I do not leave the house without taking a shower. 
in the morning. <laughs> I don't care what time it is. I need to be. I need to wake up. My hair needs to be able to go the right direction. Uh, that only a shower will allow. I mean, I got to be like feeling good, ready to go. It's more like just. I feel like I just feel like dirty and like we just went to the beach. If I don't, if I don't take a shower in the morning. And, uh, and, and, I go to, I, and I go to Starbucks every single day, 365 days a year, including Christmas. Wow. So that's definitely a part of my routine. I mean, I know like all the people who work there, I get free drinks at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> You're like, so, I, I the system. So, Is I, there I like a line item of City Church just for like, it's just Pastor Dane Starbucks? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they, yeah. When I walk in, they start my order. Yeah, which yeah. is awesome. And then I've also built relationships <laughs> with everybody there. Yeah, here I am. Yeah. I built these relationships and friendships with all these people who have a different lifestyle than I do, who know I'm a pastor and we're still cool and we're still friends. It's been kind of neat. Uh, but but I write my sermons there. I'm not really an office guy. And I, I wrote my book there. And I just had a second book come out um, called, you know, um, that just came out like this past week uh, called Without awesome. a Doubt. It's a short little booklet on, uh, on just our assurance in Christ. Uh, so I wrote that there. And also, um, one, one thing I always do as part of my routine is I heard Eric Geiger a long time ago talk about walk-around leadership. And I love that, where he just would just kind of walk around the office. So I just walk around every day, pop in everybody's office, say hello, check in. I'm not watching them. It's not that. I'm just saying what's yeah. up. Just let them know that I'm here. I'm not removed. I'm not a part of that. So those are more my routines. I go to the gym a couple of times a week. Usually I take a walk later in the evening when it gets a little cooler. Uh, those are kind of some routines, but in terms of the time I get up and when I eat breakfast and all that kind of stuff, that's different every day, which that's just kind of how I operate in general. I t- totally get it. What is your favorite personality test right now? I hate those things. Um, <laughs> Next question. The answer is, an, I would rather like give a kidney than hear about your Enneagram, whatever it's called. I, I just do not care at all. What's your, what's your Enneagram, Dane? I have no idea. Whatever but y'all would know based on what I just said, I guess. But uh, when I go somewhere and like, we're all going to take the disc test. I'm like, I'm going to throw a disc at you. You know, kind of thing. So, so I appreciate those to understand others better. Yeah, there, there is a, there are, you know, two parties. One party that's just like obsessed with personality tests. And then we have, you are not the only one that's been on this podcast that's been like, I, man, I just, I just don't do it. I know everybody else. But tell us why. I, I really am curious. And I know yeah. these are quick hitters, but jump into that just for a minute. Like, what? why do you not like those? What's the What's the pushback against it? I think they become a crutch okay. and an identity mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, well, I'm just a D or I'm just a 7.852 twice removed or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, or, you know, like, you know, like I, I'm just a beaver or a golden retriever. And it's yeah. like, that's not who you are. You know, it's part of your personality, but I think it's become kind of an excuse and a crutch for a lot of people. Like when someone has like on their Twitter bio, like their, their Enneagram number, I'm like, really? <laughs> like, Josh, you're going to need to remove settle that. Down, man. Settle down a little <laughs> bit, Josh, like a little bit. Okay. Like, you're probably CrossFit guy too, aren't you? I was, I was, I haven't been since national. Same long, person, right? same person. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, I did again. So where it has been helpful for me though, is helping understand others in the workplace a little bit better. I don't think you need to take a new one every three months or I, I just don't like when it becomes a thing more than just a helpful tool. Yeah. That's Does that make sense. No, for sure. Yeah. I, I just think it's become too much of a thing. For sure. No, I'm at week seven, by the way. Okay, next question. <laughs> <laughs> Dean, what is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? I feel like we've already heard a few, but I want to know if there's a little more. Yeah, a couple of things. One, I I never if ever it has to be like pouring down rain. I never go through drive-throughs. I always go I always go inside. 
I always go inside. You all think I'm the weirdest person in the world, don't you? No, this like, is my favorite answer to this question. You've yeah. got through this question, and I really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, because I try to set the standard for our staff and our church about just constantly being in contact with people all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though it might take me five to 10 extra minutes, I walk inside, I say hi to everybody. Uh, and I'm a regular. I go like the same four places, right? On purpose. <laughs> I try to be a regular, you know? So like, yeah. I, I really do that. Like I take my time. So, so I think I, I have it is I'm constantly like just talking to people. And that drive through is just an example of just how I operate. Like me just being in the office for a couple hours, you would, if you're like some like major task oriented person, it would drive you crazy because you would think I got nothing done that day. I actually got a ton done that day. So I spent time individually talking to every staff member, engaging yeah. with them. Like it's just relationships, relationships, relationships. And that's a daily habit that I have is those kind of things. Walking around to do the point where I don't even go through a drive through I go inside the bank. I mean, I, there's just things that I, I, I volunteer. I'm like, I'll go to Publix, the grocery store, you know, like I, like I, I just like to be out and doing things. And I think there's different habits I have in my life that, and routines that, that allow that to happen. Well, it you you answered the question. Per, it is an unusual habit, but it's a very good one. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, what's no. your favorite? What's your favorite app on your phone right now? Twitter. Twitter. You, are you on? Are you like? How many times did you check Twitter? And what do you love most about it? So I I'm kind of a big like red light and like walk to the bathroom Twitter checker. Okay. Okay. And I type really fast so I can send out it. It might look like I've been sitting in front of Twitter all day. It's just not true. I, do, I can crank them out really quick. So my mind works. I type real fast. I'm just kind of like one line kind of quick things I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I like about Twitter the most is the relationships I form. Like I have, I'm friends with people all over the country that we first met on Twitter. We met in person since then at conventions and conferences and all that. But we first met via Twitter. I think it's an awesome thing for that. There's a lot of crap with it too, but I just kind of like don't get I just try to there's mute buttons and block buttons and unfollow buttons for a reason, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's great to just see what's happening through the church across the country and through ministry. Also, I'm a big sports guy, so I keep up kind of sports stuff through that. And it's just it's just a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it. Cool. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. That I've book seen is this book so much. Fantastic, man. You just want to get reassured of how much God loves you and how Jesus is walking with you and how nothing can separate you from his love. Man, get in that book. It is fantastic. And it's short chapters. So it almost reads like a devotional, man. I love that book. I would give it to anybody right now. Man, I have seen it all over social media. It is great. You just pushed me over the edge. I'm literally ordering it. Right I'm, now. I'm not overhyping it. Okay. This is I'm a brand new one. It. it was published this year. Okay. Crossway. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. I I am not overhyping that book. It is absolutely fantastic. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing. Well, not right this second because I got to ask this question. Okay. Last question, Dean. <laughs> last okay. one. It's my favorite one. I love asking this question. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Take God really seriously and not yourself. Mm. Mm. We, we, we need a operation get over yourself mission across Christian leaders that's good so take God <laughs> seriously. one sentence is take God seriously and not yourself mm. well Dean you ended that Perfectly. on just an, on an incredible high note uh, just a convicting note as well so thank you for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and thank you for listening we hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership and if it has Head on over to Instagram, give us a follow, shoot us a DM, say what you like about the podcast. We'd love to connect over there and we'll see you next week. Peace out.